Take your Bibles, please, and let's turn to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to commence reading in verse 20 of Romans 14. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproach of them that reproached thee fell on me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Father God, that you've given unto us this precious book. We thank you that, Lord God, we have access to it, that we can read it, that we can study it. Father, you illuminate your word through your spirit. And we do pray tonight, Father, as we open up the word of God and through the foolishness of preaching that you administer our heart's needs. Give me wisdom tonight. Just allow me to have clarity of thought so that I might have simplicity of speech and that, Father, tonight you might be exalted, that you might get all the praise and all the glories, challenge us, encourage us through your word this night. And Lord God, we seek for you to bless us by it and we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you remember, we've seen so far in Romans chapter 14 that in the non-essential matters of the Christian life, the non-essential matters of things that we do or don't do, when there is no direct scriptural imperative, no direct scriptural command that we're to do something or not do something, then we're to receive the weak and we're to respect the convictions of others. Well, at the same time, you and I to remember that the Lord is the judge and therefore that you and I are to pursue God's priorities in life, which we saw last time in Romans 14, 16. In summary, Romans 14, basically what we have is an exhortation from the apostles of the Romans, those Romans who are strong in the faith, not to stand for their rights at the expense of peace. The Lord tells us here that for you and I as believers that we should be less concerned about our rights and more concerned about edification, encouraging other believers, building them up in the faith. Now tonight as we come to the last section in Romans on this matter of non-essentials in Romans 14, 20 through 15, 3, We see firstly that as believers, you and I are to help each other. We're to help each other. 
Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 14, verses 20 and 21, to destroy not the work of God for the sake of food. Notice what he says in verse 20, for meat, destroy not the work of God. For the sake of eating meat that's uh, offered to idols, for the sake of doing these non-essential things, then don't destroy the work of God for the sake of liberty. And here what we have for us is a description for us of the insignificance of our rights. In fact, our rights are somewhat insignificant in relationship to our relationship to each other. You see, by enforcing our rights to eat meat, for instance, we could destroy the very work of God that you and I are seeking to achieve. Because the way that we behave can have an adverse effect upon our testimony. It can affect our effectiveness for Christ. Simply because you and I become somewhat pig-headed about what we have a right to do. And what we're challenged here in Romans chapter 14, particularly these last few verses, verses 20 through Romans 15, 3, what we're challenged here is not to stand for our freedoms at the expense of causing a weak believer to stumble. We have to weigh up what we have a right to do, what we have liberty to do in Christ, what we can do with a clear conscience in view of what a impact is having upon others. And then in verse 21, he says that if eating and drinking something will cause another brother to stumble, then we're not free to eat or drink in that circumstance. Look in verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. So you and I are not to destroy the work of God for the sake of our liberties, the sake of eating meat. And by the same token, you and I need to abstain from doing those things if that thing is going to cause a brother to stumble, to be offended or made weak. You see, even if we have personal liberty to do something, we do not have the liberty to cause other believers harm. We do not have the liberty to cause other believers to stumble or the liberty to offend them or the liberty to make a weaker brother have problems. You and I have liberty in Christ, that's true. And in the non-essential matters, you and I do have liberty to do what our conscience allows us to do. But we also have to consider the impact we're having upon others. And Paul puts the issue together in verse 20 when he says, For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. Here he tells us all things are indeed pure. What he says in the non-essential areas of life, if there's nothing sinful in and of themselves, then they're pure. And that's the position those who are strong in the faith held to here in Romans. And it's the position that those who are strong in faith can hold to today. When it comes to these non-essential matters, if there's nothing sinful in and of themselves, there's no direct command of God not to do something, or no correct command of God to do something, then those things are pure. And you and I can have a position, therefore, to say, there's nothing wrong with this, therefore I can do it. What the apostle concedes here, and what the Lord concedes here, is the point 
that there is nothing impure in food itself. You know, meat is meat. Whether that meat is offered to idols or not, whether that meat is bled properly according to kosher rules of the Jewish nation or not, meat is meat. And there's nothing wrong with eating meat. There's nothing wrong with a good steak. Nothing wrong with a good T-bone. Mind you, I can't remember the last time I had a T-bone, but there's nothing wrong with a good T-bone. Nothing wrong with meat. In and of itself, meat is not wicked. Meat is not sinful. Meat is not evil. There's nothing wrong with meat. But likewise, he insists, there's nothing pure in causing the brother to stumble. You see, we need to temper our knowledge that our faith gives us in these non-essential matters with the fact that there are believers who do struggle with some of these things. Because notice what he says in verse 20. He goes and said, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Now, the evil is not in the act itself, okay? Eating meat is not evil. All things are pure. But that which is evil is causing an offense. If you and I cause offense to a weaker brother, then that is evil. The offense is evil not the eating of the meat. And therefore it's evil to eat with offense. In other words, if you know, you know, you go out to a, a go out with a, a brother or sister in Christ and you know that that person struggles, in this case, struggles eating meat, then to order a big T-bone on your plate and there you struggle with it, that is an offense. We ought to be considerate of the other believer's needs and eat the steak at home rather than eating in their presence, okay, where it won't cause offense. You, know, you open your freezer, grab it a nice steak and eat it at home. You're not causing anyone offense unless, of course, your wife doesn't like it too, and then you probably are in trouble because, uh, you know, she's, she doesn't like it or whatever. But the truth of the matter is there's no offense in the meat. But to sit there knowingly that the brother or sister in Christ is struggling Watching you consume the meat, that is an offense. And that's what's been said here. And therefore, you know, that's not an act of love, is it? To deliberately cause hurt, offense, or trouble, or struggle, or cause a brother to stumble, knowing that's what's happening, is not an act of love. That's just you and I exercising our rights. And the Lord says we shouldn't do that. Paul tells us it's true that meat will not destroy the work of God, but if you do something knowing it upsets a weaker brother, then it's wrong, it's sin. And then in verse 21, he adds that it is good not to eat flesh or drink wine or do anything that will cause your brother to stumble or cause your brother to be offended or to be made weak. Notice what he says, it is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. So he kind of broadens the horizon here. He's been primarily talking about eating meat and talking about special days, holy days. 
But now he broadens that and he says eating meat, drinking wine, or whatever it is that causes our brother to stumble. He now makes an all-encompassing statement with regard to our attitude towards one another. Now you and I need to remember when Paul wrote this, there were many within the churches, particularly in the, in the early church and here in Rome, there were people in the church that were Jewish believers. And they'd been brought up all their life under the Jewish system and there was certain things Jews were not allowed to do under the law. And it had been drummed into them from birth. And they'd learnt these things. These were things that they understood. These were things that they, they lived by. And now they were saved and they were in a church with a bunch of Gentiles who never had those standards, never had those laws, those rules set over them. And therefore, they were not struggling with certain things the Jews were. So, for instance, you would find in the Roman church or in, in the church at Rome or in any other churches in the early church, you would find it, some who found it hard to give up the Jewish Sabbath. In fact, we read in early church history, in some places, early Christians, those Jewish Christians, kept the Saturday Sabbath as well as the Sunday Lord's Day because they just couldn't give up the Sabbath. Because, let's see, they were afraid of breaking the Sabbath law. You read the Ten Commandments, there's one there about it. The, the word of God's clear for the Jew. They were to keep the Sabbath day and it was to be holy. And they were to do no menial task on that day. They were to keep it as a day whereby they did no work. Remember when they were in the desert, in the wilderness, and the manna was given to them? They were to collect it for six days. On the seventh day, they were not to collect it. They had to collect twice as much on the on the sixth day, so on the seventh day, they didn't have to collect, they didn't have to do any work. This was what's been bred into them, what they've been taught, what they've learnt. And so now they're part of, a Gentile, part of a church with Gentiles who've been saved. The Gentiles only keep the Sunday, but they, have to still, they still feel like they need to keep the Sabbath. Their faith in Christ was not strong enough for them to enjoy the freedom that Christ gave them from the law. And as we've seen in these matters, the strong are not to despise the weak. They were not to make fun of the weak. They are not to make fun of those who, couldn't keep the, who had to keep the Sabbath. And the weak were not to judge the strong in these matters. And to illustrate this, Pastor Mitchell in his notes on Romans gives this illustration. He says a boy at church was bouncing the ball against the wall before the meeting starts. An elderly man rebukes him and tells him that he's breaking the Lord's Sabbath, the Lord's Day. He believes to play sport on Sunday is to break the Sabbath, which is supposed to be a day of rest. In the context of Romans 14, 20 and 21, what should be our response to such a situation? When I grew up as a little kid in churches, there was many a people who believed this, that Sunday was now the Sabbath and that was no work should be done and we should remember it's a, a day of rest and it was just like the Sabbath. How should we respond in 
context of Romans 14, should we respond to such a person? Well, Pastor Mitchell explains, he says this, we should in fact ask the boy to stop throwing the ball, not because he is breaking the Sabbath, because Sunday is not the Sabbath, but because his action offends a weaker brother. His action is making a weaker brother stumble into judging. The boy's freedom has offended the weaker brother's conscience. And therefore the onus is on the strong. The strong must revise their behavior so as not to defend the weaker brother. Of course the old man should be instructed not to judge. Instructed that he should accept the convictions of others and ask him to leave the judge into the Lord. But the reality is that people struggle. You know, I, I uh, grew up believing that playing cards were sinful. I struggled for a long time watching people play with cards. And uh, it was hard for me because I grew up believing they were wrong. I don't know why they were wrong. I couldn't tell you even to this day why my mum and dad thought they were wrong. I suspected it had something to do with their life before they got saved. They never really explained, but I suspect before they got saved, they were playing cards and they weren't just having it at the fun. I think they probably were gambling or whatever was going on with it. And they didn't like cards. And they associated it with the behavior that was not acceptable for believers. So we were never allowed to have playing cards in our house. I know Jen's mum and dad were the same. We were never allowed to have playing cards in the house. And when our kids came home and told us they'd been out playing with cards, it took us a long while to come to the place. Kendall and Angela can tell you about this too. I probably Simon remembers too. It would take a long while for us to come to the terms with the fact there was nothing sinful in cards. But I do remember people who thought it was. And in a sense, if I had gone in there for and taken a packet of cards out and sat down with a friend of mine and said, let's play cards, knowing full well that they struggle with it, then I'm causing offense. And according to Romans 14, that's sinful. The truth is, we are free in Christ. We have liberty. In the non-essential things of life, the believer has liberty. We can do anything we want. That is anything the Holy Spirit allows us to do, but as believers, we do have liberty. But it's also true that Christ has called us to yield our rights at times so that we might follow him. So if our liberty is the cause of a brother stumbling, then in their presence at least, we should stop. We shouldn't eat that steak in their presence. We shouldn't play those cards in their presence. We shouldn't bounce that ball against the church wall in their presence if it's causing them to stumble. In the context of Romans 14, 21, we need also address the question of drinking alcohol because he says this, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended always made weak. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but because he mentions it, I can't just skip over it. I need to address the question, is it good for believers to drink wine? Should a believer drink wine? The question is, is it a sin for a believer to drink alcohol? 
And what I want to do here is I want to quote Pastor Mitchell, not because I'm afraid to tell you what I think, but just because I agree with him. And he had better words than me. Okay, I tried writing it, and then I thought, well, why should I write Reinvent the Wheel when he's done such a great job of explaining exactly what I think. So let me quote you him. Okay, he says, the question I must ask myself as a believer is, can my drinking alcohol make another stumble or fall? Could my having a beer or a bottle of wine give offense to the Jews, to the Gentiles, or to the church of God? The answer when it comes to alcohol obviously has to be yes. I can give you a dozen reasons why it's not very smart to drink alcohol, but scripturally what is found in Romans 14 is the strongest argument of all. And he goes on, he says this, think about it. Nothing in our society has caused more people to stumble than alcohol. It causes death on roads, husbands to abuse wives, fathers to abuse children, mothers to neglect children. It causes fighting and addiction. We could go down the parks late at night and we would see how it is abused by, our young, pe- by young teenagers. Read the statistics and see how it is a factor in half a dozen diseases that destroy the body. And therefore, there's no da- doubt in my mind, when you consider those factors, when you consider the harm it does to people, when you consider the harm that alcohol does cause in society, it seems to me there is no doubt that alcohol fits into Romans 14, 20 and 21, Romans 14 in particular, quite easily. For the drinking of wine can indeed cause thy brother to stumble. It can cause an offense it can cause them to be made weak. So I personally believe, like Pastor Mitchell said, I personally believe that Romans 14 makes the matter of alcohol and the believer clear. I believe we should not drink. Just to kind of add to this, let me quote Pastor Mitchell again. He says this, If as a believer, my child, or a brother who is young in the faith sees I accept alcohol... I could cause my child or that brother to accept drinking alcohol as okay, which potentially for that child or that brother could become an addiction with all of its associated evil consequences. Also, if a fellow believer who has had a drinking problem sees me drinking or knows that I partake of alcohol, it could cause him to also take alcohol again and plunge him back into a nasty addiction. See, the truth is, according to Romans chapter 14, you and I must consider our behavior, how our behavior affects others. Well, it's true that maybe I can handle alcohol. I can drink a little bit with my meal and I can do that and it doesn't cause any problem. But what happens to my children? Maybe one of them see it and they can handle alcohol and they become addicted to it and they become drunkards. Who's to blame for that? Well, I'm partly to blame for that. Because I should not do anything that can cause them to stumble, to cause offense, to cause them harm. And so Romans 14, I think, clearly spells out for us that believers shouldn't drink. There are many reasons why, by the way, I believe that believers shouldn't drink alcohol, not just this reason. Reasons that we don't have time to go into tonight. But I do agree with Pastor Mitchell's conclusion here when he says, because of what Romans 14 teaches... Because of the offense drinking alcohol is to many people, I will not have alcohol pass through my lips. I will not have it in any of my cupboards. I will not joke about drinking or joke about those who abuse it because I've seen its destruction. 
I have been with Christians who have been fighting against it. I know I could drink and still go to heaven and have fellowship with God, but I don't because I care for others. And that's the principle of Romans 14. And this I don't want to apply to all matters of conscience, because notice what he says in verse 21. He says, All is, uh, sorry, uh, uh, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. It is not good to neither eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. He includes all those things in the non-essentials. My, str- the, my strength in faith, my knowledge about my freedom in Christ, my liberty that I have in Christ but not, must not be used to destroy another who is weak. When Romans 14.21 says it's not good, the phrase is not good is, means that is it's, it is better that we abstain because young Christians need protection. Now let me say this. We shouldn't think that Paul would permit this kind of heart to cater to some legalism, someone who's a legalist. What Paul's speaking about here, about the stumbling one, is that this is a sincere matter of the heart of the believer who is weak in faith. This is not just some legalistic conviction that they have. This is because they genuinely, in their heart, are struggling with these things. This is not catering for someone's whims, someone's legalistic ideas. For example, some of Christians from the Jewish background were offended that the Gentile believers were not circumcised. But you know, Paul didn't give in to their legalistic demands. Because that was not a matter of heart. That was a matter of legalism. And so Paul's not saying here we're to cater for the legalistic demands of people. He's saying we are to consider the heart of the other person. If they're genuinely struggling, if they're genuinely offended, if they're strenuously going to cause them harm, then we should consider our behavior and at the very least not do it in their presence. So the general rule is that the weak must learn from the strong and the strong should love the weak. If we follow God's word in these matters, these non-essential things, the result will be peace, will be maturity, will be the glory of God, bring glory to God. Then lastly, Paul gives a summary of the underlying principle that should operate when dealing in these matters of conscience, and that summary is found in verses 23, sorry, verse, yeah, verse 22 through verse 3 of chapter 15. Now, here he says that as believers, we must not force our opinions on others. Notice it says in verse 22, he says, Has thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Here is, we have for us, given us the rule for the strong. And he begins with a question, he says, hast thou faith? And what he's really saying is he's saying, are you strong in the faith? Or put it another way, do you have a good conscience? Can you in all conscience, good conscience, do what you're doing? Are you strong in the faith? Have you faith? 
Do you have the faith to believe that you may eat meat? Faith to believe that all days are the same and you don't need to celebrate holy days. Well, if you do, then here's the principle. Notice what he says. Verse 22, hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Have it to thyself before God. In other words, only do those things when it will not offend or cause the brother to stumble. And if possible, do it out of their sight. Has their face expressed the idea that whatever you believe about these things, keep it to yourself and God. Don't force your opinions on others. Don't flaunt your liberty before those who are struggling. One commentator said this, if you have strong faith, if you're liberty to partake in certain things, praise God. But have your strong faith before God, not before a brother who will stumble. For happy is the one who does not insist that others keep his preferences. We've got to consider other people. Because if we exercise our faith and we offend someone in the faith, then notice what it tells us here in verse 22. Uh, verse 22 it tells us that we're condemned. That is, we've done evil to the brother. Notice what he says, hast thou faith? Have it to thyself. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he is alloweth. If, we are allow if the thing that we're allowed to do causes offense, then according to God's word, we're condemned. He says that if our faith causes a brother to stumble then we've condemned ourselves in the very thing that we allow, in the very thing that we approve of. We stand condemned because now we've caused offense. It's okay to have the liberty. It's okay to do it. And you and I can do most of those things not causing offense by not being around those people. But if we do cause offense, then we are condemned because we have caused offense. And then in verse 22, he says, happy is he that condemneth not. Happy is the man, he says, who has faith before God. God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. And therefore, happy is the believer who doesn't offend his brother. Now, not every Christian knows this happiness. There are things that God may challenge us to give up, but we go on and approve them in our life. And what we do is we condemn ourselves. You know, you and I can cling to things because we have liberty in Christ. We can cling to things because we have the right to do it in Christ. And we can cling to it because we think by clinging to it that will make us happy. But the reality is this. The real happiness is found in our relationship to the Lord, isn't it? True happiness for the believer is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The closer we walk with him, the happier we are. We don't find happiness in things. Now, we could feel satisfied in eating a bit of meat. But that's not real happiness, is it? Happiness is found in the Lord. And so true happiness is by in obeying him, by surrendering to him. And if therefore you and I have to give up some of our liberty in order not to cause offense 
or cause a brother to stumble, then we will be happy in doing that because that's unto the Lord. In Romans 14.23, Paul explains the plight of the weak. He says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So here's the problem for the weak believer. You see, the opposite, opposite is true for that believer. The opposite of being persuaded is doubt. And when he says and he doubteth, He's referring to those who are weak. They doubt. They, they struggle with eating meat. They struggle with not keeping holy days. They struggle with not keeping the Sabbath. And Paul explains why it is a sin if he does eat that which he struggles with or does not do the things that he should be doing even though he has liberty not to do them. If he believes there is something wrong with eating and he does eat, then he's going against his conscience. And therefore, he's going against what he believes is right. And therefore, he is willfully sinning because Romans 14, 23 says this, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So the weaker brother cannot eat that meat that's offered to idols. And if by watching you and I eat that steak in front of them, we are causing them to doubt, causing them to struggle, causing them offense, and they are finding it hard, then we're in the wrong and they are finding it hard simply because by faith they haven't come to the place where they can accept us, have liberty to eat it. And therefore, because it's not a faith, they're eating it simply because we are, then to them it's a sin. Now, you and I know this phrase, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I'm sure you all know that well. But that's the context it's found in. If somebody does that which they struggle with, that they do not believe they should do, and they simply do it because they see you and I doing it, then if they're not doing it in faith, to them it is a sin. See, they're going against their conscience. This is a wonderful check on our tendency to justify ourselves in the things we permit. You know, if we're troubled by some gray area, if we really don't feel comfortable doing it, even though there's nothing in and of itself wrong, but you and I find that we struggle to do it, that you and I, our consciences are pricking us, and therefore we can't do it in faith, Genuinely do it as a way, say before the Lord, there is nothing wrong with this in my liberty and in my faith I'm doing this, then to you and I it's a sin and we shouldn't do it. That's why Paul says what he says in verse 1 of chapter 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The word to bear there means to change, to be flexible, so as not to make the brother go against his conscience and cause him to sin. One commentator put it this way, it's the responsibility of the strong not to please himself in matters of conscience, but rather to bear the infirmities, literally the weaknesses of the weak. Because of what Romans 14 has taught us, 
because some believers struggle with certain things, then you and I, as believers, if we're strong in that matter, if we can do something with pure conscience before the Lord, but it causes offense, then you and I ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. And then in verse 2 of 15, he says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. We are told that the rule is simple. It's the old rule of selflessness, of putting others first, of looking not on our own things, but on the things of others. He simply says, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Put others first. Look not on your own things, but look unto the things of others and modify our behavior in order that we might edify others. And then he gives us an example. What is the example that you and I could take from the Word of God that just demonstrates everything he's just been saying in Romans 14 and 15? Verse 3. For even Christ, please not himself, but as is written, the reproach of them that reproacheth thee fell on me. The example is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died on Calvary, and he took our guilt, and he took our sin upon him, and he became sin for us, and therefore took our shame upon him, he pleased not himself, but died for those who he sought to save. Jesus Christ, the example. Everything Christ did was not about him. It was about you and I. He wanted to die for us in our place that we might be saved. And the example of Christ in verse 3 shows us that there is a cost to all that Paul has been saying. And that makes sense because all spiritual service cost something and the question that we must answer as we come to the end of this section on the strong and the weak brother is are we willing to pay the price are you and I willing to give up that which needs to be given up to lay aside that which needs to be laid aside to give up our rights for the sake of others and for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ if that's what it requires, at the very least in the presence of others so that we don't cause offense, we don't cause them to stumble, we don't cause them to fall. Are we willing to pay the price Christ was? Are we? See, whenever certain issues arise, then you and I should check first to see if there's an obvious unquestionable scriptural imperative. And if there is, we ought to obey it. But if there is no direct scriptural imperative, then it's a matter of conscience. And in conscience, we must balance what is required here. As believers, we're challenged to do all that we can to help each other, to help each other grow, 
to be built up in the faith, to be strong in the Lord. And therefore, we've got to balance our liberty in Christ with what that does to other believers. And if what we're doing is causing offense, then we need to change what we do that Christ might be glorified. You and I need to follow Christ's example. And in the Christian life, we need to make sure we consider one another. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for Romans and chapter 14 and the beginning of 15 and this summation of everything he's been saying in Romans chapter 14 regarding the strong and the weak in faith, Father. Lord, just help us as believers to be sensitive to the concerns and the needs of others. Help us be sensitive to the other believers as they walk their Christian life. That, Lord God, that we do not cause offense, that we do not cause them to stumble, that we do not cause others to struggle spiritually. And at the very least, therefore, Father God, stop doing those things that cause them to stumble in their presence and only do it when they're not there. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to follow Christ's example. Help us to put others first. Consider one another. Enable us to be a blessing to each other. To your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.